compliance, the practice of obeying rules or requests made by people in authority. This is the Pharmacy Compliance Guide with Jeff Hedges. Hey, welcome back to the Pharmacy Podcast and winding down 2017. Setting the table for what's to come in the new year. Very excited about a new segment to the Pharmacy Podcast Network, which is extremely relevant to those organizations out there running pharmacies, those champions out there, independent community pharmacy providers, other pharmacy stakeholders who are investors in pharmacies, directors. Anyone in the business of pharmacy must pay attention to what it is and what it means to be compliant, for goodness sake. So one of our new segments for 2017 is the Pharmacy Compliance Guide. And that's the Pharmacy Compliance Guide. And we will be co-hosting this with Mr. Jeff Hedges with RJ Hedges and Associates. And if you haven't heard of RJ Hedges and Associates and you're listening to the show, please go to rjhedges.com as you're listening, rjhedges.com, RJ Hedges and Associates. RJ Hedges and Associates, I tell you what, for me, someone who doesn't understand compliancy, DIR fees, Medicare Part D billing, everything that comes into it in order to get compensated, in order to keep up with HIPAA compliance. I'm excited about this because we need an expert. We need a guide. Thus, the Pharmacy Compliance Guide. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Jeff, how are you today? I'm outstanding. Thank you, Todd, for allowing me to work with you on this project. You're very welcome. I've known you for quite some some time. I met you through the Pennsylvania Pharmacists Association while you were one of the keynote speakers there. I am excited that you're joining the Pharmacy Podcast Network with the uh, level of knowledge that you have in the business of pharmacy specific to compliance and HIPAA. You've also been known as the HIPAA guy out there in the pharmacy marketplace. You bring quite an amount of intelligence. However, there's might be some listeners that don't know about you. Just set the table. Tell us a little bit about your background and how RJ Hedges and Associates came to be. Well, thank you. Uh, actually, I retired from the Air Force. Uh, while I was in the Air Force for 27 years, um, one of the things that I uh, found myself doing was breaking regulations, uh, regulations that would be written, but in application that wouldn't work, uh, from aircraft loading to handling, uh, handling hazardous materials to computer software generations and writing computer code. Throughout my career, I always found a way to break things and then rewrite the regulations to make it uh, sensible, easy to use, and um, easy to obtain the objective just by simply following the, uh, a regulation or a tech order. Uh, then in 2002, I retired, I entered the private sector for a couple years, and then um, I found my way into um, healthcare compliance. Uh, when I came into healthcare compliance, uh, HIPAA was just new. I wrote a, or co-authored a, a HIPAA security handbook for uh, with NCPA and Walter Fitzgerald down in Tennessee. And then from there, our business has grown. We're in our 11th year. Uh, we started off with our first client, which, which, uh, which actually was a radiology client. 
And then we moved into pharmacy and EME and O&P, uh, chiropractors, and we hit a, a wide range of healthcare providers on HIPAA compliance. And now we, uh, we have a full offering from HIPAA compliance to uh, pharmacy compliance, DME POS compliance, compounding, waste and abuse, uh, diabetic shoes, uh, human resources, and uh, everything from a federal compliance component that affects uh, specifically an independent pharmacy. We have the policies and procedures to comply with those federal statutes. We work through accreditation. I serve on one of the uh, top uh, 10 accrediting bodies as on their board directors, and that is with uh, the Board of Certification Accreditation International, or commonly known as BOC, and uh, been active in both ONP, DME, and, but primarily in pharmacy because that's where my heart is. And that's where I've known you and, and, and have grown to read your blog and the information that you put out there, listen to some of the conferences that you've attended and the insights that you bring to the table. The fast paced of pharmacy, the fast paced of community, retail, independent pharmacy is, you know what it is. I mean, it, it is just uh, script after script, 300, 400, 600 prescriptions a day to process, uh, reimbursements have go- gone down, so the volume has, in some cases, had to gone up. Supplements have had to come in in order to uh, grow the business. Uh, DME has become a big part of that. Uh, diabetic shoe sales, uh, nutraceuticals, different things that are uh, that are helping an independent pharmacy grow. One thing that they shouldn't be concerned about is if, in fact, uh, their compliance and documentation and policy procedures are up to date. Therefore, I think that's where R.J. Hedges and Associates, as the experts, really bring, once again, that level of intelligence as the pharmacy compliance guide. That's why I'm excited that you guys are joining the network. I always like when when someone says, so I've got the bad news, I've got the good news. To me, I always want to hear the bad news first. So we do have some bad news and we have some obviously good news and then we have some some future things to set the table for what's to come from the Pharmacy Compliance Guide show. Um, So I'm excited. So let's start off, unfortunately, (laughs) with with the bad news. The... um the big thing right now, every five or four or five years, HIPAA compliance has come up, and it's reared its ugly head. And right now, that's where we're at with uh, HIPAA compliance. Um, the key thing that they've been testing over the last couple months is uh, what they call desk audits. Uh, desk audits is where they send a healthcare provider, a covered entity, or a business associate a letter where they're requesting. Uh, it's more of a requirement that you have to submit uh, certain policies and procedures, uh, your risk analysis, risk management plan, disaster recovery plan, and your annual assessments uh, for federal review. On top of that, uh, we have uh, uh, Health and Human Services Office of Civil Rights Inspectors who are now coming into covered entities and they're actually doing on-site inspections. And they been doing this over the years, but we have seen a marked increase with our clients around the country where a Office of Civil Rights or OCR inspector walks into the facility. Um, when they do this, um, and this is where your training comes into play, 
um, they will walk up to the counter and they will talk to the person at the counter, which is generally your clerk, which is generally your newest and most inexperienced person. And they're going to ask for your notice of privacy practice. Hopefully you're, uh, you've trained your staff and they will say, of course, and they will pick up the notice of privacy practice and hand it to the inspector. And at that point, they're going to look at it, make sure it's in the right format, make sure that the date is after July 1st, 2013. They may hand it back to the clerk or walk out and say, thank you very much. If they don't, the next phase is where they show their credentials. And they will ask the clerk, could I please see your risk analysis, your risk management plan, and your disaster recovery or contingency plan. They call them both ways. So at this is a critical point. If the person at the counter says, of course, and they are able to hand it to them, to the inspector these documents, they will look at them and at the counter. They're written in accordance with the National Institutes of Standards and Technology Guidelines. They will look at them fairly quickly, hand the binder back or the document to the uh, clerk or the tech whoever's at the counter, say thank you very much, and walk right out the door. Again, that's an on-site inspection, and everything goes well. And for our clients, that's how we train everybody. They have a compliance uh, HIPAA compliance binder right at the counter with these key documents that an inspector is ask, uh, that's asking for. And so they don't have to remember everything. All they need to do is HIPAA binder hand to the inspector. If the clerk or the tech gives the, uh, the inspector a deer in headlights look, or they're not sure what's going on, you need to ask someone. At that moment, you have a $1,000 fine for an improper training of your staff. They will also, that inspector will not come behind the counter, and he or she will spend the rest of the day with you <laughs> upsetting your apple cart. <laughs> no, it's thank not a fun you. thing. Even no, if you thank you. Even if you have everything, you're still going to have that $1,000 fine from the beginning. But if you don't have everything, and key things that they're looking for are those those four main documents. The other thing, you're required under the statute, all the way back since 2003 and 5, when the rules came up, to do annual assessments for both privacy and security. They want to see them at both the desk audits as well as online inspections. They're also going to request policies and procedures, and they're just going to pull random policies out of the statute that you're required to have. For example, do you have a policy and procedure for decedents or law enforcement, or does the patient requesting a restriction of uses and disclosures? All these policies are mandated to be had, and you either have them or you don't. So hopefully you have them, and they need to be updated, and they need to make sure that they're take, uh, they're properly prepared. Uh, there are uh, lots of multitudes of possibilities of what you have out there. There's multiple co- uh, compliance companies out there providing software or compliant templates, but you have to train your staff on them, and you should be able to read that policy and procedure and perform the tasks from that. If you do, these desk audits and these online inspections are just another uh, another auditor walking into your pharmacy and take care of it. The bad thing is if you don't have them, uh, the fines can go up to $1.5 million real fast. 
So it's a very important uh, aspect of your pharmacy you need to make sure you have taken care of. Um, so that's the biggest thing with enforcement on HIPAA. There's some things coming down on uh, from DEA and some other organizations that we'll talk on future uh, compliance guide uh, discussions, and we'll keep you in suspense for them. <laughs> yes. So um, we got that uh, that out of the way, the uh, possibility of the audits via the FDA, and let's get on with the good news. You know, the, the, the subject of DIR fees has always been very confusing to me, and I know based on a couple other podcasts that we had that we really touched on that, that we found out through tweet, Twitter and through LinkedIn and through some of the email feedback that, in fact, it was a show that was very necessary. So the good news, something regarding DIR fees and some of the changes that are taking place, please uh, bring that good news to us. Okay, so right now we're in transition with the from the uh, Obama administration as we're getting ready to move into the Trump administration. Uh, as we're looking through one of the pre- uh, one of the key topics that President-elect Trump has stated is that he will repeal and replace the Affordable Care Act. So from what uh, I've been able to read and other uh, topics I've been listening to, um, Speaker of the House Ryan, as well as the new Secretary of Health and Human Services, uh, Tom Price, who's an orthopedic surgeon out of Georgia, they have been working on a repeal replacement for the Affordable Care Act. Now, that sounds good for a lot of things for, for folks who ha- can't afford insurance, but as us, as the providers of health care, it's a big change. First thing out of the gate, the DIR fee came directly from the Affordable Care Act. If it's a repealed and replaced, then the DIR fee will go away. And think about it. Go back three years ago and see what your reimbursements were then, and where they're at today. About three years ago, we thought things were really bad. Now we look back and we wish we could go back to the good old times of three years ago. And that's exactly where we're going to go. Uh, there's no reason for the um, uh, for the DRA fees to be in. It's, a, uh, it's an unlawful tax from my point of view. Uh, it was designed to be a quality payment. And lobbyists and the attorneys down in Washington changed a definition and took it from a quality payment to a penalty. And that's why I call it as a tax, because it's a penalty that's paid by the, um, by the pharmacy six days after reimbursement, and it goes back not to the government, but back to the insurance carriers. So with that going away, that's great. The other thing is the new secretary has uh, fought for years, absolutely despises the competitive bid process for DMPOS products. So many businesses have been driven out of the marketplace because of competitive bidding. If, in fact, this goes away, pharmacies are very well suited, uh, set up because you still have your Medicare numbers. A lot of you have gone through the exemption process. Some of you still kept your accreditation. But what happens is, is all this void uh, by just uh, that's going to be filled is filled by the pharmacies because for a DME or a straight pharmacy to stand up to get into the field, it's going to take anywhere from six to twelve months. 
you're already there. If you're uh, if you have a P10 number already uh, for pharmaceuticals, literally in three months you can have uh, your P10 up to do DME POS products. Uh, if you are exempt, uh, there's no reason why that's going to uh, go away. So you can add additional products if you want to go through accreditation. Again, there are uh, avenues to become accredited. And it can take anywhere from uh, 45 days to uh, 90 days to get accredited if your P10 number is active. If it's not active, then it's going to take about six months. But just think about the time frame that you're going to be able to market this whole group of patients that haven't been able to find products or they're paying cash for it. You'll be able to dispense this immediately in these competitive bid areas, which is a large portion of the country. So uh, how this is going to happen, when it's going to happen, uh, it looks like it's going to happen somewhere between March and May uh, if, the current or if the new administration gets what they want and what they're asking for. So uh, just by the elimination of uh, DRR fees, it's like having Christmases all in a row. And competitive bidding is just gravy on the cake. That's great news. Uh, competitive bidding, uh, kind of um, explain how a independent pharmacy can kind of leverage those possibility of those changes just for what might be coming in the new year. And obviously, we know that government can move at the at the snail at the pace of snail, but nonetheless, it's still very hopeful. To position yourself as an independent pharmacy right now, um, I know a lot of pharmacies we've talked to are struggling. Uh, and there's a lot of different opportunities being presented outside uh, that people want to buy your pharmacy. Uh, think about it. Uh, talk to your family, your employees, talk to your uh, colleagues and any associations you're with. Um, the chains want to buy pharmacy independence because, one, they want, you're too big of an impact on their business because you're, you're a competitor they can't beat, only by buying you. Um, the second thing is, is make sure your Medicare number is active. Don't let it go inactive. Uh, when you're uh, right now, we're getting tons of revalidation requests. Uh, you only have 60 days to respond on them. Uh, reactivate your number uh, and keep that number going. If your accreditation is coming due, you do have a choice of either uh, uh, continuing your accreditation or uh, or moving into the exemption route. If you are accredited and you're not happy with your accrediting body, you can change your accrediting body at any time. Uh, personally, I prefer um, the Board of uh, Certification Accreditation, uh, or BOC. The reason why I do is when I interviewed all the accrediting bodies early on, uh, BOC was formed by Dr. Fetter. Dr. Fetter is or was a... Uh, registered pharmacist. Uh, he uh, operated BOC and was formed out of the School of Pharmacy at the University of Maryland. And for the first 20 years, it was housed at the University of Maryland. So it's a good organization. Their fee structures are good. They don't come into a pharmacy on a Monday. They don't come in the day after Labor Day. They don't come in the day after a holiday. Uh, they understand pharmacy. They get it. And the surveyors understand uh, patients first, your high volume, and you'll do more in 
when you get through accreditation, a pharmacy will do more business in one hour than most DME facilities will do in a whole week. It's just the nature of the beast and how things work. So, um, but that's what you should do as far as positioning yourself. And uh, because we don't know what's going to happen. If competitive bidding goes away, fees are going to be readjusted. Are they going to take it back to the level as 2000 um, uh, from six years ago? Uh, from 2010, are they going to change things around? We don't know. But if you don't have a PTAN number and it's not active, you're already out of the mix. So, But if you do, then you're ready to go. And a lot of chains, chain pharmacies, have given up their DME uh, capability or their Part B number or even Part B pharmaceuticals. So, again, you are perfectly positioned to take advantage of whatever may come down to Washington. Jeff, let's talk about the future uh, for two reasons, actually more than two reasons, but we don't have time to go for more than two. And that is, number one, the pharmacy compliance guide is going to be a, um, a big portion of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, and we're going to bring monthly uh, doses uh, to the to the listeners about staying compliant. And number two, the future. And that is uh, something very specific to kind of set the table for what's to come. One of those is credentialing. Can you kind of describe what that means to an independent pharmacist? Okay. Credentialing comes out of Medicare Part D. Um, They have, uh, CMS has given Part D enforcement and oversight to the Part D insurance carriers. We just finished the annual attestations uh, that they've been requesting, where you had to certify that you've done your fraud, waste, and abuse training, You've done your HIPAA compliance training, you have documentation, you've run your OIG exclusion verifications every month, um, and your conflict of interest certifications. Now we move into credentialing. Uh, These are uh, insurance companies, they all have different processes, but basically what they're going to do is they're going to request uh, documentation, specifically policies and procedures. Do you have a policy and procedure for uh, usual customary? Uh, recall procedures, expiration of your medications, all these policies. There's approximately 35 policies that they, between all the insurance companies that they ask for. They want to see, uh, some of them want to know if you're doing background checks. Some of them want to know if you're, a lot of them want to know what you're doing for accreditation. Are you accredited for DME POS, for pharmacy, for compounding? All of them are being offered by different agencies and organizations throughout the country. Does every pharmacy need them? No, but it's something that's coming. Um, Insurance companies, I think, are going to push for pharmacy and compounding uh, accreditation. I think that Medicaid at the the state level is going to stop accepting the pharmacy exemption. Um, That's all possibilities that are coming down through next year, but for the immediate future, when you get these credentialing uh, notices, some are sent to you by mail, some are faxed, some are emailed to you. The key thing is is to uh, to get on them immediately. Uh, they'll give you anywhere from 30 to 40 day, five days to respond. Uh, the if you you can't wait on these things, you want to get them done quick. You want to get them done complete. Uh, you don't want to leave one item open. So if they ask for five policies, you've got to give them five policies. 
They want your uh, surety bond. They want your certificates of liability insurance. Whatever they ask for, you want to make sure that you have. They're going to want all your pharmacy licenses and pharmacist licenses uh, and a whole host of documents. CVS Caremark is the worst as far as volume. It'll take you, if you have all the documentation, it's going to take you a couple hours just to gather it. If you don't have it, we're talking days. And to, to draft up documents or find solutions that will actually work because you just can't have a policy that you borrowed from someone. It has to be implemented uh, because if they come into the facility, they're going to want to know what your processes are, and they're going to look at your um, policies and procedures to make sure that they're compliant. So um, we're, got, we're winding down here at the end of 2016. Uh, I know on January 1st we're going to have all the patients changing their Part D plans. Uh, a lot of people who have insurance are going to be taking the penalty because they simply can't afford it. But we have a lot of people that are going to go f- uh, from being insured to cash patients. So the first couple months or weeks of January are going to be horrible as normal. But with these credentialings, when they come in, don't put them on the pile to get to later. Um, get your staff to help you. Um, and when you start making docu- copies of documents and different things, just don't do it for one. Start doing them and save those documents so you have it for the next uh, credentialing requirement. Because you're going to get anywhere from three to ten credentials depending on how many uh, Part D payers you have. Jeff, I'm so glad that you're joining the Pharmacy Podcast Network as our guide and being the pharmacy compliance guide. If you're listening, you own a pharmacy, you run a pharmacy, you're a director at multiple pharmacies, reach out to this team. They know exactly what's going on. They can keep you ahead of it. They can definitely um, help you in in keeping you compliant. Uh, Issues that that involve uh, documentation, policy procedures, HIPAA, This stuff is not to be messed with, and it can slow you down, especially if you come up with a major auditing situation. This is a proactive team, which I'm excited to work with, uh, Jeff, excited to work with your your entire team. You guys got a new office. You guys got a new website. You Obviously, this new podcast is a small part of it, the Pharmacy Compliance Guide. Jeff, thank you so much for being on the show and being part of the network. Uh, Thank you for having me, and I wish everybody a happy Hanukkah, a Merry Christmas, and hopefully a very, very prosperous new year. (laughs) That's right. You are listening to the Pharmacy Compliance Guide, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. We have exciting things to come in 2017. Happy New Year, and we'll talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.